Who is William Blackstone? William Blackstone, also known as W.E.B., is virtually unknown to most people in both the Jewish and Christian communities. Yet, Blackstone's influence on both communities has been and continues to be significant. In the 1950s, a woman named Anita Liebeson recognized the importance of Blackstone's contributions, especially in regards to modern-day Zionism. At the New York City Zionist Conference of 1958, Miss Liebeson sought to bring the contributions of Blackstone to light. In his honor, it was decided at the conference that a forest in the Judean hills should be planted and it should be named the Blackstone Forest. The monies were raised and the plans moved along. The forest was planted in 1961 and funded by both the Christian and Jewish communities through the Jewish National Fund. Unfortunately, just like the memory of Blackstone, the location of that forest has since been forgotten. Today we'll explore his life, the setting into which he was born, and we'll take a look at some of Blackstone's contributions to the Christian and Jewish communities. Though Blackstone's influence on the modern-day Zionist movement is not currently well known, I believe he should be among the Founding Fathers and recognized for his early contributions to the Zionist cause. Today we explore the life and influence of William Blackstone on this 77th episode of the Tove Podcast. to the Tove Podcast. Well, thanks for joining us today on the Tove Podcast. My name is Levi Hazen. I have the privilege of serving as the host of the Tove Podcast, as well as the executive director of Life in Messiah International. Since 1887, we've been sharing God's heart for the Jewish people all over the globe. Well, William Eugene Blackstone was born in Adams, New York on October 6th of 1841. Being that his father was a tinsmith, William grew up in humble circumstances. Though certainly not wealthy, a general confidence certainly flowed through his veins due to his family history. It's believed that one of Blackstone's ancestors— also a reverend, was the first European settler of Boston. Blackstone's parents regularly took him to a Methodist church, and it was there that he heard the gospel and gave his life to God at about the age of 10. Blackstone describes his pivotal decision like this, quote, I was deeply convicted of sin and can never forget the meeting in the little basement room of the old church where they all knelt in prayer for me. I can only remember in my own prayer that I asked God for Jesus' sake to forgive me my sins and bless his name, and he did it. 
The burden rolled away, the tears were gone, and I was filled with joy. End quote. Just three years later, at the age of 13, Blackstone sensed God calling him into full-time ministry. After 10 more years had gone by, at the age of 23, Blackstone decided to volunteer for service with the Christian Commission, much like the Red Cross of today. Blackstone was privileged to serve at General Grant's headquarters and even conversed with the general on several occasions. While volunteering, Blackstone was ordained by his pastor from Adams, New York. In 1868, after finishing his volunteer service, Blackstone married and settled down not far from Chicago in a little town called Rockford. He married a woman named Sarah. After two years, the couple left Rockford and moved closer to Chicago to a suburb called Oak Park. At that time, Blackstone was not working in full-time ministry. He was enjoying success by investing in buildings and properties. William and Sarah would end up having three children, one of which died tragically at the age of 23. Now, despite his great success in the business world, Blackstone pursued his God-given calling in 1877 and gave himself over to the work of advancing the good news. Blackstone promised God that he would cease business dealings until he had tried to preach the gospel for at least two years. In the years that followed, Blackstone renewed this commitment many times over. Now, at this time, the modern Zionist movement was at a crucial point. In the 1880s, the region known as Palestine was experiencing its first major wave of Russian Jewish immigrants. The pogroms, or state-sponsored riots, were taking a heavy toll on the Jewish populations in the Pale of Settlement. Not only did these Jewish refugees flee to what would be the future land of Israel, they also fled to cities like New York and Chicago in large numbers. The idea of returning to the land of Israel to set up a homeland for Jewish refugees was becoming a reality for some in the Jewish community. Jewish people from Europe moved there and began to farm the land, purchase property from absentee landowners, start schools, build roads, and embark on a new journey that would lead them far away from oppressive governments like the Tsar. In the years 1888 and 1889, Blackstone traveled to Europe and the Middle East to see all of these realities for himself. He took his 12-year-old daughter Flora with him at the time. Thankfully, Blackstone kept a detailed journal of all of their travels. He met many popular people on the journey, such as Charles Spurgeon, Hudson Taylor, Charles Warren, Prince Henry of Germany, and even the Guinness family. Yes, the same family that still makes beer today. Blackstone also visited popular religious sites such as John Wesley's home and St. Peter's Basilica. There's no doubt that this trip had a great effect on the thinking and future actions of Blackstone. In 1908, Blackstone claimed that the Jewish population of Palestine was more than 80,000. These large migrations of Jewish people to the region of Palestine prompted Blackstone to provide economic support to such causes as the Lovers of Zion and Colonization of Zion. Lovers of Zion were essentially societies in Eastern Europe that had a conviction that a return to the land of Israel was really the only way, the only hope for Jewish people to survive 
in a world filled with so much anti-Semitism. Throughout this time, Blackstone was learning more about the Bible and the Middle East. While he was doing all this, foundations were being laid for the modern-day Zionist movement. In his book, The Founding Fathers of Zionism, Benzion Netanyahu reviews five men who devoted much of their lives to the establishment of a homeland for the Jewish people. What's interesting is that each of these five men were alive and working toward a state at the same time as Blackstone. For example, Leo Pinsker, Theodore Herzl, Max Nordau, Israel Zangwill, and Zev Jabotinsky were all alive and working at the same time as William Blackstone. The year 1897 proved to be a pivotal point in the Zionist cause as the first Zionist Congress was held in Basel, Switzerland, under the leadership of Theodore Herzl. This event would be viewed by Blackstone as another move closer to the fulfillment of Ezekiel's vision of the dry bones coming together, which, if you just read Ezekiel chapter 37, you see very clearly that the dry bones coming together and then breath being given to those bones is all about the nation of Israel. Now, because many Jewish refugees were leaving the Pale of Settlement and moving to Chicago, this provided Blackstone with many opportunities to befriend the Jewish people and share the good news with them. Among other things, Blackstone started an organization called the Chicago Hebrew Mission, which still exists today as Life in Messiah International. But another major accomplishment of Blackstone was becoming a popular speaker on the Bible conference circuit between 1896 and 1907. You see, in the latter half of the 19th century, Bible conferences were becoming very popular among believers who wanted to know more about Bible prophecy and the future of Israel. It's likely, though not verifiable, that Blackstone was influenced by the teaching of John Nelson Darby, the great premillennial teacher who made five visits to Chicago. Though it's not known for sure that Blackstone and Darby met personally, it doesn't seem far-fetched to think they did. Teaching at various Bible conferences provided Blackstone the opportunity to influence hundreds, if not thousands of Christians, and their beliefs with regard to God's plans for the Jewish people, not least of which included a future state and a spiritual revival. Besides the establishment of Life and Messiah, Blackstone also wrote a book called Jesus is Coming. This book influenced how future premillennialists would think about language, hermeneutics, the relationship between Israel and the church, the rapture, the tribulation, the millennial kingdom, the practical benefits of the doctrine, and the onset of modernism. In his book, Blackstone urges readers to take a literal, premillennial view of the scriptures with teachings such as the following, quote, The millennial kingdom will be a literal reign of Messiah on the earth, and not simply a spiritual exaltation of the church, end quote. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll dive into Blackstone and the Jewish community on the Tove Podcast. Since 1887, Life in Messiah has helped Christians understand the Jewish roots of our faith and God's ongoing commitment to His people. 
We teach that anti-Semitism is inconsistent with biblical faith, and we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, which includes her spiritual renewal as well as physical safety. In all we do, our priority is to share the gospel message. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or at lifeinmessiah.org. That's lifeinmessiah.org. Welcome back to the Tove Podcast. We are taking an in-depth look at the life and influence of William Blackstone, a forgotten figure in both the Jewish and Christian communities. Blackstone is not well known among today's Jewish community. Whereas many streets and buildings in Israel bear the names of other early Zionists, Blackstone's memorial, a forest, has been lost. I have no knowledge of any streets or buildings named after William Blackstone in Israel. This seems odd given the reality that he was quite popular among the Jewish community of his time and was a big encouragement to the cause of modern Zionism. Of note, however, is a short article on Blackstone that can be found in the Encyclopedia Judaica, a secular publication. Among other information, the article states that Blackstone was, quote, an ardent supporter of the return of Jews to Palestine, end quote. The article also mentions the Blackstone Memorial, which we'll discuss in a second, and how it may have influenced President Woodrow Wilson's positive views of the Balfour Declaration. Despite Blackstone's fervent belief that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, he was widely accepted in the Zionist community. He had prominent contacts, such as Louis Brandeis, Stephen Wise, Jacob de Haas, and even Nathan Strauss. There are records of these men sending greeting cards to one another. Even the great Baron de Rothschild of France knew Blackstone as a proponent of the Zionist movement. In 1893, Rothschild wrote to his friend in America, Adam Rosenberg, encouraging him to contact Blackstone for economic support for Rosenberg's organization, Hovave Zion. A review of the correspondences between Blackstone and the Zionist leadership shows that Blackstone was considered to be a seminal figure in the Zionist movement. Louis Brandeis and Nathan Strauss agreed that Blackstone was the father of Zionism because his work predated that of Theodore Herzl's Der Judenstaat by five years, and it predated the First Zionist Congress by six years. On March 5th of 1891, Blackstone wrote what would later be called the Blackstone Memorial. This memorial was a petition to President Benjamin Harrison and James Blaine, the Secretary of State. In the petition, Blackstone asks, quote, what shall be done for the Russian Jews, end quote. He then encourages President Harrison and Secretary Blaine to give Palestine to the Jewish people for their permanent homeland. He continues, quote, It is an appropriate time for all nations, and especially the Christian nations of Europe, to show kindness to Israel, end quote. This petition was not just a random letter sent by a Christian to a president. In reality, it carried a lot of political weight because of who Blackstone recruited to sign the petition. Though not a full list by any means, here are just a few of the prominent names and positions that can be found as signatories on the Blackstone Memorial. Melville Fuller, Chief Justice of the United States. 
Charles Blanchard, president of Wheaton College. J. Pierpont Morgan, founder of J.P. Morgan. Edwin H. Fittler, the mayor of Philadelphia. And Frank Hatton of the Washington Post. Among the 416 signatories were congressmen, clergy, rabbis, and city officials. The different cities represented on the Blackstone Memorial were diverse and included Chicago, Washington, Philadelphia, Baltimore, and New York City. Twelve years later, in 1903, Blackstone sent another edition of the memorial to President Roosevelt. At that time, the Jews of Russia were experiencing great persecution, and it's likely that is what prompted Blackstone to send another edition. The memorial was received, but did not get near the attention of the first memorial. Thirteen years later, in 1916, in coordination with the Zionist movement of America, Blackstone sent another petition, this time to President Woodrow Wilson. The timing of this letter was important, because it preceded the Balfour Declaration by just one year. It is possible that this petition influenced Wilson's views of the Balfour Declaration. Blackstone was known for working with a variety of Jewish people, both those who accepted the gospel as well as those who did not. This separated him from many other believers at the time, who only worked with Jewish believers. This fact made him a true believer in the restoration of Israel not just someone trying to manipulate Bible prophecy. In conclusion, we've briefly reviewed the life and influence of William E. Blackstone. It's my opinion that more could and should be published concerning his influence on both the Christian and Jewish communities. With the ongoing work of Life and Messiah, Blackstone's influence has now spanned more than 150 years. As we said earlier, One of the primary ways in which he's influenced the Christian community is through his book, Jesus is Coming. Jesus is Coming has been translated into 42 languages, including Hebrew and Yiddish. Blackstone, through his writing and teaching, influenced thousands, if not millions of believers with regard to their eschatology and love for the Jewish people. For that, he should be commemorated. How many believers have read Blackstone's work or heard his preaching and then produced fruit for the kingdom that cannot even be known this side of heaven? Perhaps someday we'll know the full extent to which Blackstone impacted this world. The main ways in which Blackstone influenced the Jewish community are somewhat known, but like the Christian community, may never be fully realized. Blackstone certainly encouraged the early Zionist leaders and even provided economic support toward the establishment of a Jewish homeland in Palestine. He was not ashamed of his belief in Yeshua and the Bible as God's authoritative word. One wonders whether certain Jewish men, such as Nathan Strauss and Louis Brandeis, would have ever heard the gospel were it not for their close friendship with Blackstone. But perhaps Blackstone's greatest influence on both communities is through the organization he founded over 130 years ago. Through Life and Messiah, thousands of Jewish people have heard the gospel and thousands of Gentiles have heard about God's love for the Jewish people and been equipped to share the good news with them. 
The Bible's clear direction to lovingly share with Jewish people the plan of salvation has been taught by Life and Messiah staff for well over a century. If Blackstone could see what's been accomplished by the organization he founded, I don't think he'd care about a forgotten forest or a little name recognition. However, I still believe it would benefit both communities to be more familiar with the legacy of William E. Blackstone. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Tove Podcast. Next week, I am really excited to welcome back returning guest David Barker as we talk about the biblical holiday of Purim. You can always listen to previous episodes of the Tove Podcast by going to lifeandmessiah.org and clicking on the media tab. You can also download episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for joining us on the Tove Podcast. Until next time, Shalom. Shalom.